Good morning to you. And happy Easter. When I was a kid, Dairy Queen offered a full meal deal. And it was a burger, fries, soda, and a sundae, all for $1.99. When I grew up, I discovered the delights of a full English breakfast. And that was tea, toast, eggs, grilled tomatoes, bacon, bangers, and beans, all for a few bucks at the Zimbabwean exchange rate. Today, as we turn to Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2, I want to frame our time together around three points. And they're going to lead us to the concept of a full Easter from three points. In Hebrews 2, the Holy Spirit hammers home three basic truths about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is fully God. Number two, Jesus is fully human. And number three, Jesus fully solves our most pressing problem. So if you would turn with me in the Blue Pew Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Now that's on page 1276 of those Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. That'll take you to Hebrews 2. And as you turn in the Word of the Lord to Hebrews 2, let's turn to the Lord of that Word and ask Him to bless our time together this Resurrection Sunday. Lord Jesus, we invite You today as the Lord of the church to speak from Your Word. That You would take the truths of Hebrews 2 and hammer them home into our hearts that they would leave an indelible imprint and that we would walk differently because You have spoken. We pray, Lord Jesus, for Your grace to be upon us and Your truth to resonate in our hearts and minds. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor and putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to Jesus, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 2 begins with a warning. And it's a warning uh, that the author of Hebrews includes himself in. He says, therefore, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And see, there's a danger you and I face. Uh, you and I who are familiar with the old, old story of a Savior and His love. The danger is not ignorance, it's carelessness with something that's precious. The call to pay much closer attention is the Greek word prosecho, and it means to, to tie something down or, or to moor up a ship. To this, the Bible adds a second nautical term, the word is parareo. Now, parareo speaks of a slow, gradual drifting that takes you away from the safety of the harbor, of the mooring, of the anchor, a drifting. Now, for people who've been exposed to the Word of God, for people who have heard the, the clear call of the Gospel, the danger is that we might become content to know about Jesus and not know Jesus personally and redemptively. And so Scripture warns us as we gather together at Easter that our great danger is probably not outright rejection. It's probably not wanton rebellion. The danger is drift. If we are not anchored to Jesus, the waves of this world will pull us farther and farther and farther from the Father. And we will be in peril on the sea. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, asks this. He says, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would have been reasoned out of it by honest argumentation. Do not most people simply drift away? Our passage sounds a warning. Is your anchor tethered to the Master or are you starting a dangerous drift? Hebrews 2 is going to make its plea based on Hebrews 1. And Hebrews 1 zeroed in on the fact that Jesus is supreme over the angels. And so Hebrews 2 takes this concept of the angels 
And it reminds us that the entire Old Testament was given to us via angelic messengers. And in Acts 7.53 and in Galatians 3.19, the Bible says the law was delivered by angels. Hebrews puts it this way, you know, basically in the past, the angels assisted, but, but now the Son has visited. In fact, Hebrews opens this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken by His Son. Now, for since the message declared by angels proved reliable... In every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord, our passage tells us. And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, God's Son came preaching, the Bible says, repent and believe the good news. And His apostles came proclaiming the same, repent and believe the good news. And this Gospel was confirmed by authenticating signs and wonders. The chief sign that was ever given by God was this, that God confirmed Jesus as the Son of God with power by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans 1.14. Acts 5.12 says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and God did all of this that we might anchor our souls to the author and perfecter of our faith. For there is only one God. And there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus the only mediator between God and man? And that is because Jesus alone is the intersection in our disconnection between God and man. In Genesis 3, the unfettered access that between God and man was severed when Adam and Eve made the rebellious choice to eat the forbidden fruit. And right away, a separation ensued in Genesis. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. And, and there was an angel with a flaming sword to prevent them from returning to the garden. There was separation. Because the wages of sin had started to set in. And when you read the early accounts in Genesis, you're going to see a litany of their progeny and so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And you're going to see that some of them lived a really long time, like they were going to really win on Medicare checks. But even though they lived a long time, every single one of them died. And he died, and he died, and he died. Because the wages of sin is death. Now, death in the Bible primarily pertains to separation. The separation of the body from the soul when we breathe our last, but, but also the separation of the soul from the love of God if we have not made peace with God on God's terms. And God's terms are written in the blood of His one and only Son. And so the question is, have you put your faith in the trustworthy One who is the anchor your soul or are you drifting 
Are you drifting? Anchor your soul to God's answer to our greatest problem. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, Jesus saves because Jesus is God and man. Jesus, the God-man, died that we might have life through Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says, Jesus died for us so that we might live together with Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now how can this be? How can this be? How can Jesus' obedience lead to my forgiveness? How does that work? And the answer is that the infinite righteousness of Jesus, because He's God, when credited to my account, not only pays my sin debt, but would leave me in permanent credit. No matter how much sin I did, it would be finite. And Jesus' righteousness would always be infinite. And that's why He can take away the sin of the world. Because the infinite righteousness of Jesus is available to not just clear you in your debt, but put you in permanent credit in the eyes of God if you will take His gift of His Son who died to bring it to you. Friends, you know when God sees me according to the Scriptures, God sees Christ in me, my hope and glory. Now wait a minute, now doesn't the Bible tell us if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Well then how can any man pay for any other man's sin debt? A man's payment would only settle his own debt. How could he pay for another? And the Bible's answer is, well Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is God. Jesus is our Emmanuel. What does that mean? It means God with us. God with us, which brings us to our first point in our outlines today. Jesus is fully God. In Hebrews 2, it's very clear that Jesus is fully God. Look at verse 10. For it is fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, who is this He? Well, go to verse 9. It tells you who that He is, namely Jesus. Jesus is the One for whom and by whom all things exist. He is the Creator God. But Jesus is not just God's Son. He is God. Colossians 1.16 puts it this way, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. Jesus Christ is holding the universe together by the sheer force of His will at this very moment. The Gospel of John, when it wants to introduce you to Jesus, this is how it begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, so separate from the Father, and the Word was God. So, Jesus, the eternal Son, was eternally God. He was with God, and yet He was separate from God because God is Trinitarian. God is one God in three persons. Alright. So it is Jesus who the Scriptures tell us made all things, and without Him was not anything that has not been made. 
Okay, so Jesus is God. And here's the second reality that Hebrews wants you to see. And it's this, number two, Jesus is not just fully God, He's fully man. He's fully man. He is fully man. Hebrews 2 says this very plainly. We see this in John 1.14 when the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. It was God's plan to send His Son, eternally God, and the Word became flesh. God incarnated. He took on genuine and true humanity. Though fully God, at the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity took on true and full humanity. He didn't just appear human-like. He became a true human being. Verse 14 in our passage puts it this way, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus Himself likewise partook of these very same things. Genuine and true humanity. Verse 17 puts it this way. Jesus had to be made like His brothers in every respect. Every single way that we're human. Jesus was human with one exception. He was without sin. And so the eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God incarnated 2,000 years ago. He took on flesh. God the Son who was eternally God, and yet at the incarnation, God the Son took on flesh. Who, Philippians says, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made Himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, and He humbled Himself, and He became obedient. He became obedient unto death. He became obedient unto death even on a cross, the Bible says. Which if you had to think of the most humiliating way to die available in the ancient world, that was it. That was it. That was it. Now our passage puts it this way. At present, we do not see everything yet in subjection to Him. You look around this world and... Sometimes you wonder, is Jesus on the throne? But we see Him, verse 9, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that is, in the fashion of a human, namely Jesus, and He's been crowned with glory and honor because of His suffering and death. We gather at Easter because Jesus died and Jesus rose. So that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone who will receive that gift by faith. Now, God cannot die. But God, in taking on genuine and true humanity, friends, God did die. Look at verse 14 again. Since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, genuine and true humanity, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, the death of Christ is the difference maker. The death of Christ is the difference maker. How so? Look at verse 16. For surely it is not angels that Jesus helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham, the people of faith. Verse 17. Therefore Jesus had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Now here it is. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Why did Jesus die? Why did God send His Son? And here's the answer. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus became one of us to redeem us. What sin estranged, the Son redeems. The devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But the Son comes that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. 
Who are you allowing to master your life today? That brings us to our third point. Not only is Jesus fully God and and, and fully human, but number three, Jesus alone fully solves our most pressing problem. Jesus alone fully solves our most pressing problem. It has been well said that that Christmas speaks of God with us and, and Pentecost of God in us, but friends, at Easter it is God for us. God for us. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to Himself, the Bible says. God has made a way where there was no way. Ephesians is correct that in our sins, our sins had left us dead in our trespasses. A dead person cannot help himself. A sick person can take medicine or chemotherapy, but a dead person just lies lifeless unless someone hits them with the paddles to bring life back. They're dead. And that's how the Bible depicts us. We're like people are are always interested in zombies. Well, it's sort of night of the living dead. We are spiritually dead even though we're physically alive and it's a problem. And so Isaiah, back in the Old Testament, he puts the problem this way. He says, our iniquities have separated us from God. God is holy and we are not. God has had to put distance because of the sin that we engage in between Himself and us. And so God closed this distance. How? In sending Jesus Christ. Jesus became a man and did what you and I could never, ever, ever, ever do. He not only lived a life utterly without sin, But friends, He perfectly fulfilled the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so sinless Jesus then volunteered to become our substitute. And He laid down His life to redeem ours. 1 Peter 2.24 puts it this way. He Himself bore our sins on His body, on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness and by His wounds we are healed. Friends, this is the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Colossians 1.22 puts it this way. Once you were alienated from God, And you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith. Verse 23. Established and firm and not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel. There's a way back to God and it's the Gospel. The Son is the way back to God. Have you put your faith in the Son of God? That is the way, the truth, and the life. What's your connection to Jesus today? Now if we went through this passage, there's so much in this passage that I can't explore. In in verses 14-18 through we see Jesus as our substitute. In verses 3-10 and we see Jesus as our Savior. In verse 11 we see Jesus as our sanctifier. In verse 18 we see Jesus as our sympathizer. And I could spend the rest of our time together today and, and we would never mind the bottom of those glorious truths of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But time does not permit. And so in the few moments that you have given me this Easter, I want us to briefly survey six benefits of Jesus' uniqueness 
that makes Jesus and Jesus alone fully able to solve our most intractable problem. They are points A through F in your outline today. Look at verse 10 again, please. Verse 10, For it is fitting that He, that's Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And that brings us to letter A today. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can make us children of God. Only Jesus can make us children of God. Jesus is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Don't be left behind. Don't be left out. Latch on to Jesus who died to redeem us. Don't miss the greatest gift that's ever been given. The free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Because the focal point of the faith is is the biblical, historical, and wonderful reality that the grave could not hold Him. If you want life, you need to go to someone who can overcome death. And there's only one. Name under heaven by which you may be saved. As Robert Lowry wrote, Up from the grave He arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Which brings us to letter B, you see. Letter B is this, only Jesus can destroy the works of the devil. Only Jesus can destroy the works of the devil. We're going to see this in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death Jesus might destroy the One who has the power over the death, that is, the devil. John. 1 John 3.8 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Now, if the devil's winning in your world, I encourage you to turn to a greater power, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are things that you and I cannot get freedom over in our addictions and afflictions that Jesus Christ in 2,000 years has proven over and over sufficient. The Bible calls us overcomers, but we overcome through the shed blood of the Lamb. Did you know that Jesus is a devil-defeating, death-defying, kingdom-conquering, sinless Savior? Which brings us to letter C today. Only Jesus can deliver us from the fear of death. Only Jesus can deliver us from the fear of death. I've watched people on their deathbed, and some of them excited and exuberant, and some of them callowed and cowering. But friends, according to verse 9 of Hebrews 2, Jesus can set us free from the fear of death. Hebrews 2, verse 9, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with honor and glory because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for us. For everyone. Now if you skip down to verse 14, the Bible's going to say it again in case you missed it. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong 
slavery. 2 Timothy 1.10. 2 Timothy 1.10 says this. Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus not only defeats the devil in death, but also the bondage of slavery that would otherwise keep you in chains. Remember, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the Son comes that you might have life and have it abundantly. What we cannot conquer, Christ can conquer. Which brings us to letter D. Only Jesus can deliver us from the slavery of sin. Only Jesus can deliver us from the slavery of sin. Hebrews 2.15 tells us Jesus alone is is able to deliver all those who were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus Himself tells us in John 8.36, in John 8.36, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified in Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Have you been set free by Jesus? See, if you just know about Jesus, if you can just quote the name Jesus, it's not the same as having a personal relationship with Jesus because then the power of Christ can flow into the recesses where the devil has a hold on you and you think it can never get better. But it can. Because there have been Christians in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in America for 2,000 years who found that what no one else could help, Jesus was able to help with. Jesus, and only Jesus, defeats the devil, removes the fear of death, abolishes slavery to sin, and let her E, friends, only Jesus can appease the wrath of God. Only Jesus can appease the wrath of God. Let's say you win in your war with addiction and affliction. Let's say you overcome through self-grit and determination, but you still have a problem. One day you're going to meet God. And that's going to be a problem. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.16, for surely it is not the angels that Jesus helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham, the people of faith. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and here it is, to make propitiation for the sins of people. Propitiation. We're going to look at that word because that word means something. Uh, The prophets in the Old Covenant, they stood for God before the people, and they would proclaim the Word of God. But the priests, the priests in the Old Covenant, they stood before men towards God, offering sacrifices so that the men could go before God. The prophets stood before men with God's Word. The priests stood before God with atoning works of sacrifice. Now here's the Lord, and He is our high priest, and He's making intercession. Now how is Jesus our high priest? Well, He offers a perfect, a once and for all sacrifice that all the blood of all the bulls and all the rams and all the lambs and all the world could never attain. How many of you heard this song? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood 
of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you applied the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of your heart? Or is it just something you're going to get around to one day, you hope? The blood of bulls and rams, the Bible teaches, only covered our sin. But the blood of Christ cleanses away our sin. The blood of animals had to be continually respilt every time we sinned again. But the blood of Jesus is categorically different and infinitely sufficient, and that is why. Hebrews 10.10 says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Christ offered for all a single sacrifice for sin. And then He sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time all those who are being sanctified. The blood of Jesus. That's why we don't come to church and and sever a ram or a lamb or a pigeon. We don't do any of that because Jesus has done all of that and more. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now in our text, the Bible uses the word propitiation. And it's a word we don't use much in our current context in 2018. And it's the Greek word uh, helaskamai. And helaskamai means that Jesus fully satisfied the wrath of God that our sin had otherwise ushered in. Romans 5.9 makes this very clear what Jesus did. When the Holy Spirit moves the pen of Paul in Romans 5.9, the Bible says, we have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. Jesus solves a problem we could never solve. He propitiated. He turned away the wrath of God. The wrath of God was placed on the sinless soldiers of Jesus. Friends, if if there's a fire, and in Africa we'd have fires a lot, and the land would get dry, and what people would do when the fires would sweep through is they would make a fire break. They would light an area on fire so when the fire comes, the one place fire can't consume is where the fire has already touched down. And the wrath of God touched down at Calvary 2,000 years ago and landed on the shoulders of sinless Jesus. And if you stand at Calvary, one day the wrath of God will come down again. And the Bible says the whole world which has been destroyed once by water will be destroyed again by fire. But if you stand at the cross of Christ, it cannot touch you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for goody-goodies that go to church and give money and try harder. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says there's no condemnation for those in, in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Or do you just know about Jesus? The Bible says, like it or not, that we are by nature objects of wrath. Uh, We have each committed cosmic treason against the universe's only true sovereign, and so judgment is coming. But the Bible has good news, and the good news is this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so God in His mercy sent His only begotten Son to pay a debt that we would spend eternity never being able to repay. That's why hell is eternal. Our sins may be finite, but the one we have sinned against is infinite. He's infinitely holy. And so the offense is one of great degree. Only an eternal judgment could settle an offense against God's infinite holiness. And so God sent infinitely holy Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, to pay the wages of sin, which is death. And all who receive Him get the free gift of eternal life He came to send. Is your faith in Jesus? If so, I have a word for you. It's what Jesus cried from the cross so many 
so many Good Fridays ago, and that word is tetelestai. And it means it is finished. Now, we can't earn salvation, but Jesus can, and Jesus did. And on the cross, He said, it is finished. There's nothing more to do but believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Now, the question is, have you done it? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus that He might ransom your life by the sacrifice of His precious Son? Now, if you've made that momentous decision, and I'm suspicious that many of you have, you've told me about how you've come to Jesus. Well, praise God. Then I want you to think about verse 18. This this verse is here for you today. The Bible says, For because Jesus Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. And that is letter F. That is our final letter in our time together. Letter F. Only Jesus understands fully, withstood totally, and can intercede effectively in our times of temptation. Only Jesus understands fully, withstood totally, and can intercede effectively in our times of temptation. Some people say, well, wait a minute, Sean. Jesus was God. How could a sinless Savior understand the sin that I schizophrenically savor? How can one who never experienced my battle with lust or anger or pride or whatever, drink or drugs or whatever you struggle with, how can that Savior understand my continual caving to that particular craving? Friends, you have no idea what temptation is until you have withstood to the point of utter obedience. See, you and I, we get tempted and we reach a point where we give in. But Jesus was tempted, and every time He withstood all the way, the full extent, until He had victory. Every single time. We don't feel the full force of our temptation when we give in, but Jesus felt the full force every time, and every time He never gave in. Jesus is utterly unlike us. The the last Adam did what the first Adam could not. Uh, Jesus was tempted in all points, but He was without sin. Uh, And then Jesus, though utterly innocent, died so that you and I, though totally guilty, would not be punished. Because by His stripes, we are healed. We're not healed from back pain. We're not healed from male pattern baldness like the claims of the televangelists. We are healed from the most lethal ailment imaginable. Our soul's defilement that keeps us from the presence of the love of God forever. Jesus' infinite righteousness utterly, totally, and inalterably cleanses us so that through, though our sins were once like scarlet, the Bible says they are now white as snow when God looks at us. The late Dr. S.M. Lockeridge of the historic Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego used to famously speak about this king. You may have heard it. He would say in his inimitable way, the Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. Now that's my king. David says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. No means of measure can define His limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of His shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder Him from pouring out His blessing. 
He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my King. He's God's Son. He's the sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in Himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my King. He's the miracle of the ages. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and He saves. He guards and He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He, he blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? My King is the King of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness and the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He is the uh, leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His Word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The, the heaven of heavens cannot contain Him, let alone a man explain Him. You can't get Him out of your mind and you can't get Him off your hands. You can't outlive Him and you can't live without Him. The Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but they found they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in Him. Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't handle Him. And the grave couldn't hold Him. That's my King. Do you know Him? He always has been. And He always will be. He had no predecessor, and He'll have no successor. There was nobody before Him, and there'll be nobody after Him. You can't impeach Him, and He won't resign. That's my King. Praise the Lord, that's my King. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the forevers, then amen and amen and amen. Let's pray to that King right now this Easter. Lord Jesus, we come to You this morning understanding that You are fully God and You are fully man and You are able to fully solve our greatest problem. 
But Lord, it's not enough to know about You. You tell us that we must be born again. That we must put our faith in You personally. We must admit that we are sinners and accept that that sin has brought separation. We must believe that Jesus was sent to die to redeem us and that He rose to prove that that propitiation happened in heaven in the mind of God removing the wrath of God. If you're here with us today and you are ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, Romans 10.9 says if you uh, believe, if, if, you, if you say with, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what are you saying there? You're saying that Jesus, the man, is God. Christ, Jesus Christ, is Lord. That you're going to make Him God of your life. You're not going to run your life. He's going to run your life. And that you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. If you're ready to do that, you can do that right here this Easter with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not a magical incantation. It's just a sincere desire of your heart. If you want to receive Jesus, I encourage you, please do so. Your prayer can be expressed in the quietness of your heart like this. Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I know that you sent Jesus to be that Savior. And so I believe that you rose from the dead. And I ask that you would set me free from the areas the enemy has me in captivity. That you would adopt me permanently as your son and give me a holy boldness to tell others about Jesus. Amen and amen.